Welcome to another episode of Better in Bed, the podcast where we talk about sex and inspire you to get better at it. I'm Sarah, and I'm a certified sexologist and coach, and I help people like you overcome shame, explore your sexuality, and communicate more meaningfully about sex. Today, we have another sex FAQs episode, and I created these episodes specifically to connect with and respond to the many of you in my community who send in your questions to me. I tend to get quite a few questions with the same themes, so I've put them together in this sex FAQs format where I invite a guest who is an expert in the area to answer them together with me. If you have a sex question for me that you'd like some guidance on, I'm here for you. Do check out my Patreon as that's one of the rewards that I offer in addition to other cool stuff such as fan requests, bonus content, and even monthly hangouts with me. It's patreon.com forward slash better in bed. And don't forget, you can also get lots of free tips and resources for a happier, healthier sex life straight into your inbox if you sign up to join my email community on sarahsense.com. Today's topic is sexual confidence. So helping me to answer your questions today is my guest, Valentina Tudos. We are so lucky to have her as a regular guest on Better in Bed. Valentina is a transformational relationship coach, hypnotherapist, sexpert, and TEDx speaker. She is passionate about educating and empowering her clients to communicate effectively, learn more about themselves, and create positive, deeply meaningful relationships with others. But before we dive in, just a quick word from our sponsor who helped to make this episode possible. Stay tuned. Guys, I can't wait to tell you all about Promescent. Promescent is a premium sexual health company which makes a signature delay spray that's clinically proven to help men last longer in bed. When I tried the spray with a partner, I was surprised at how quickly it worked, how long it lasted, and how little transfer there was to me during sex. Nothing felt numb, we just had a sensational time and my partner felt like he could have gone on for longer. Next time I use it, I'm clearing my entire schedule. And don't just take my word for it, over 2,000 healthcare professionals also recommend Promescent. So check out promescent.com. They have a full line of products from lubricants to supplements, everything you'll need for longer lasting, more satisfying sex, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Promescent is spelled P-R-O-M-E-S-C-E-N-T dot com. Look up the link in the show notes. So I'm going to get straight into the questions um, we have for today. And today we are talking about um, sexual confidence and self-love. So I'll go ahead with the first one. 
I've had breast cancer and a double mastectomy. I have no feeling left in my breast area and am now in menopause, which has also caused me some vaginal dryness. I just don't feel sexy at all. And when I look at other people, it's so hard to muster up any spark of sexual attraction for them. I used to love sex, but these days I can't imagine what it would be like to have someone see me naked. Any suggestions for me? Well, first of all, I'm very sorry to hear that you've been through this experience as a breast cancer survivor. I definitely know the anguish and fear that comes into a person's mind when they wake up from the operating table just to find that it's such an important part of your anatomy is gone. But I still think that our sexuality is such a much bigger story. So first of all, yay you for surviving it and being strong to go through it. it. Of course, it is a big trauma for the body and it's a big emotional trauma from a sense of identity as a woman, right? Especially as a sexual being who maybe used to enjoy being touched in these areas. So I think the first place to look would be into this concept of self-love and self-acceptance and how your former image, the image that you had of yourself before, defined your sexual experience. So Sarah and I always say this, that good sex happens between your ears, not between your legs, right? So it is a mental experience and it's hard to accept that you've lost such a significant part of what made you a woman. But I think one of the beautiful ways you can look at it is to be grateful to your body for kind of going through this experience and being strong again. And I think gratitude is an important part of feeling good about yourself is one of the laws, you know, what I like to call the 10 laws of self-love. One of them is really feeling grateful for everything that you've experienced and how it's made you stronger. But also it's the way you think about it. I really believe, and it's actually been scientifically proven, that our biology is very much influenced by our mindset. So if you have a mindset that I have now experienced this traumatic loss of my, you know, a significant body part, if that makes me less of a woman, I'm going to feel like less of a woman. Maybe one way to reframe this situation is for you to think, well, that makes me a survivor, that makes me a strong person and I'm feeling very empowered in the fact that I've become this new version of myself. And actually in your brain, you still have breasts. There is a part of our yeah. brain which is a map of our body. So maybe you think you don't have sensation in that part of your body, but because the map of your body still resides in your brain with all the bits together, you might consider that there are nerve endings that can still trigger sexual pleasure in that area of your body. So maybe explore a little bit and experiment with gentle touches to see if you can recreate those sensations and really work on thinking of yourself as a sexual being. Yeah, I agree. It sounds like maybe you are still in the middle of a grieving process, you know, and I think that is very natural and normal. And I think it's also very healthy to process this where I think there is a stage of grief, I think, to say goodbye to a part of yourself or a part of your body that is no longer there. And I think 
one of the things maybe that can be helpful for you to process that grief could be to find your community. If in your area there's people that you can connect with who are also breast cancer survivors or even online, I mean, there's so much stuff online where you can talk to other people who have gone through the same thing. I think that can be very healing, very cathartic for you. So just try to embrace that as a natural part of the process. And then to build on, yeah, this idea of getting to almost discover and acquaint yourself with the new you. How have you been reborn, right? Where is this new survivor narrative coming from this new there's beauty in that right and getting in touch with that you might find the technique of mirror work quite helpful where you stand in the mirror with your new body and you tell yourself you know all of the beautiful things that you love about yourself and you love about your new body that could be a helpful practice for you as well. Just a very quick add on to that. The mirror work is very powerful, but it can be quite difficult to stand in front of the mirror and say, I love you to your body. But when you achieve that wonderful moment where you can truly look at your new body and accept it, it really is the end of that process of grieving. The five stages of grief end with acceptance, and that's when self-love really happens. On the vaginal dryness, which we haven't uh, touched on at all, Mm -hmm. I think that also is essentially a hormonal imbalance. And maybe one thing that people don't know is that, in fact, our brain, our attitude towards certain things, the way we think about certain things actually produce certain types of hormones. So if we want to produce more sexual hormones, we need to start thinking in a sexual way about our bodies, allowing ourselves, giving ourselves permission to feel sexual. And one of the consequences of being through such a traumatic experience that impacts your sexual identity is that maybe sometimes you are not giving yourself permission to think of yourself as a sexual being. Maybe because you might think, well, nobody will like me anyway, so what's the point? I can't imagine myself naked with someone But you don't have to imagine yourself naked with someone. Imagine yourself naked by yourself. Because if you think of yourself as, I'm in menopause, I'm too old, this is what's happening. So if you keep creating this negative reality in your mind, your body is going to respond to that picture that you paint in your mind, right? Through hormones. Actually, our brain communicates with the different body parts through the production of hormones. And if we never think about sex, then our brain decides, well, there's no point producing estrogen and testosterone to send to your genitals because, duh, we're not going to use them. Yeah. And I think it's always a really good reminder that what somebody finds sexually attractive about us It's really not just about looks. It's about our energy. It's about our uniqueness. You know, it's about our strength, you know. So you make sure you play up all of those qualities because I know that you have all of that in droves. You know, you've survived this cancer and you can make that part of your story, part of your beauty. And our brain is our biggest sexual organs and people can fall in love with that as well. Mm -hmm. So allow yourself to shine. Yes. From all your pores. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, next question we have. I know I have a smaller penis than average size. I'm not even five inches when erect and I don't have much girth either. 
I've been told by previous partners that I have not satisfied them. It now gives me anxiety every time I try to have sex and I find myself obsessing about my penis even when I'm not being intimate. Any help for me? Well, I think we, the sex coach, agree that sex is satisfaction in the bedroom doesn't come from penetration alone. In fact, we are big fans of exploring a multitude of sexual activities that can create a lot of pleasure and satisfaction. Mm -hmm. So if you think that this is a problem, it becomes a problem. And to help yourself in this situation, I think it will be helpful to reframe what sex really means, to think of it from a much broader perspective. Ultimately, yes, penetration is fun, but to be honest, penetration is actually much more pleasurable for men than it is for most women. Mm. So from the perspective of 70% of women not actually requiring penetration or not being able to have an orgasm through penetration alone, mm -hmm. ultimately their satisfaction can come from many other you know, manual stimulation, oral stimulation. So direct you know. clitoral stimulation is one of the key things. So I think just build new skills to please your partner, maybe that don't necessarily have to be penis oriented. Well, you have a tongue and you have 10 fingers to Agreed. start with. Um, you and have... that will make you an amazing lover if yeah. you use those parts of mm -hmm. your body in magical ways as you yeah. can, you know, you can have a magical tongue and magical fingers and no woman will tell you that they're dissatisfied. Yeah. I think there is also certain toys. If you are looking into girth or length, there are like penis extenders and penis sleeves as well that can give you like different textures or different kind of girth or length. But I think it's going to be a holistic approach for you. I think, you know, some of these techniques can be used together. And I think also just to work on the anxiety is also really important. It sounds like your partners have previously have not been very kind in the way that they've expressed their feedback to you. And, you know, maybe this is a note for partners out there, because I think sometimes we can say things to people in the moment that can really caused them almost like a real like trauma after that because sex is so vulnerable right and it is you know you can just maybe express some dissatisfaction and if you don't put it in the right way you know it can really leave a very lingering wound on someone and I'm very sorry for you that maybe you sounds like you have a wound from some of your previous partners and in that case if you are actually obsessing like an unhealthy amount you know, then maybe it is time to seek support from a therapist as well to help you just ease some of your anxiety and just to heal some of those wounds as well. I agree 100%. It is once one of these thoughts is planted in someone's mind, it tends to take over the experience. And instead of actually enjoying what is happening in the moment, maybe you keep projecting how this new partner is going to have the same kind of feedback for you. And for this, really, therapy or working with a specialist is really the easiest way or the most direct way of solving it. The self-help part is really to work on becoming a really good, a really generous lover that understands the female anatomy, that understands the mechanistic path to female arousal and orgasm. And there's plenty of podcasts, obviously, mm. like Better in Bed, there's a lot of education actually mm -hmm. online that can help you become a much better yeah. lover. 
Because honestly, women don't care how that orgasm or how the pleasure their experience is delivered to them. I don't think we are as obsessed with penetration as the porn industry makes us believe. Yeah. I think you don't mention whether your partners have been uh, male or female, but if you do have a female partner, then I would recommend the book She Comes First by Ian Kerner because actually he wrote it from a perspective. He's actually a sex therapist that has experienced erectile difficulties. So it's actually something that might be very useful for you because he had to learn, I guess, some of those other new skills that we're talking about with just becoming like a more generous and confident lover as well. Yeah, wonderful advice. Okay, next question. I've been in a happy relationship with my current partner for just over a year, but we have stopped having sex after about one or two months of dating. This is actually a pattern I've noticed in all my relationships, and it makes me wonder if there's something wrong with me. I keep thinking that I must be really bad at sex if everyone I am with stops desiring me after such a short period of time. Please help. Well, unfortunately, this is a rather common scenario that I've encountered many times in my work, working with couples both to address sexual problems and relationship problems. And I think it is exactly the answer to this is looking at your partnership from those two perspectives, from how you actually create desire, or even if I go even further in time to the beginning of your relationship, very often we choose a partner for a committed relationship, maybe a little for different reasons, for criteria that have relatively less to do with the bedroom and less to do with chemistry mm -hmm. and more to do with compatibility. Mm -hmm. So when we want to build a long-term relationship, we're looking for stability, safety. We're looking for a partner who can be there for us, who can be our best friend, reliable and so on. And in that respect, compatibility trumps chemistry. So if you have not really experienced extremely high chemistry with these partners from the beginning, the baseline is uh, quite low, right? Mm -hmm. Then there may be an issue with skills of how you're communicating your desire. Because what I think is the starting point of all these losing the spark is maybe a misunderstanding around what sexual desire feels like, is like, and looks like from the outside. My favorite definition of love is says that love is the irresistible desire to be irresistibly desired. Mm -hmm. And I think it's beautiful because it shows you how one person experiencing sexual arousal and desire and communicating that in a way that triggers that in the other person is kind of what brings us together. But if we are both sitting around hoping that the other person will somehow magically experience desire at exactly the same time, you're going to be living in a sexless relationship for the rest of your life. So I think it takes an equal give and take in terms of who initiates and ultimately making conscious agreements. I think one of the biggest problems in relationship in the bedroom and outside of the bedroom is assumptions and expectations that we make individually and we don't necessarily discuss those with our partner. So instead of making a conscious agreement about, okay, how are we going to continue our sex life? What are the things that we want to achieve together? What are my struggles? What are your struggles? What is really happening? I had a client who recently told me in a rather similar situation, oh, I just found out after a year that my boyfriend is actually on some hormonal medication, mm -hmm. but he hadn't told me about this for a year. 
So then suddenly when I heard about this, it kind of explained why yeah. we hadn't been having sex, but I didn't know about it. Yeah. But I think that's a really good point because there's so many things that affect sexual desire. And I think making that assumption that I must be bad at sex because, you know, your partner has stopped desiring you for a period of time is not exactly a fair one. So I think I would encourage you to interrogate that assumption because there could be work stress, there could be fatigue, there could be hormones, there could be medication, a lot of other reasons why the desire has dropped off. So it's always worth having a conversation around it. Exactly. And that's what I'm saying about assumptions. If you assume that it's because there's something wrong with you, you're never going to bring that up and both of mm -hmm. you are going to be settling for a sexless life. Yeah. But think about the missed opportunity to actually discuss, get more intimate with each other by understanding where each other, which person is coming from and what is actually happening for them. Honestly, I think this is something that we should all do in relationships. Really, we, after a while, this is the problem with comfort killing passion. In the beginning of a relationship, we're so curious about the other person. We want to know everything about them. Yeah. And then we think that we know everything about them and then we stop asking. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But the person that you are with today is not the same person that they were six months ago when you met. And yeah. yet we assume that once we get to know a person, they will be the same forever. And that's what kills a lot of relationships instead of staying curious and asking, hey, what's happening for you? What's going on? Even when you live with someone, you still have no idea what's actually happening for them if you're not asking. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, you see even less. I totally agree. And maybe it's also just a good time for you to do some self-reflection, you know, about why is this a pattern? Why mm -hmm. is this... Are you picking people based on a certain criteria that just aren't meeting your sexual needs, right? Is that something that's... Do you even know your being, sexual needs? Yeah. Is that something that's coming up consistently? So, you know, this is a really good time to think about all of these things. And I love that you've actually brought this up as a question for us. Thank you. Thank you. you. <laughs> Thank you. I suffer from vaginismus. This is our next question. And I find sexual intercourse very difficult and painful. And for several years, I have not mentioned this to my partner. And when I finally did, he was horrified for inflicting so much pain on me. I started using dilators and he has been extremely understanding, but I still struggle with sex. I also have low confidence about my body and knowing I cannot even give my partner the level of pleasure and intimacy he must crave makes me really worry about our relationship. Is there any hope I can have a normal, intimate relationship? Well, first of all, define normal. Yeah. Whatever normal means. Yeah. I don't really like the word normal for anything. Yeah. I'm quite happy to be abnormal Ev if that's the way. <laughs> well, everything is normal, right? It's just exactly. whatever works for you. And actually, maybe what we should also start with is just defining what vaginismus is mm. for some people, because I'm not sure that everybody listening understands vaginismus is just an involuntary contraction of the muscles around the vagina. And it can just be extremely painful, especially when something is trying to penetrate the vagina, you know, that could be anything from a tampon to a penis. Yeah. yeah, and it's a very painful condition because there is, of course, a deep connection between the body and the mind. So you can look at it as a protection mechanism mm -hmm. that the mind has put in place. 
Sometimes the cause of that is some sort of trauma or mm. some sort of association between that area of your body and pain. So it doesn't necessarily have to have a sexual trauma cause, yeah. past. Yeah. yeah. So it doesn't have to be because someone mm. raped you. Mm. It can be if you fallen and sometimes yeah. you can hurt yourself in that yeah. area or yeah. cuts or something like that. If there is an association between that part of your body and pain, mm -hmm. it could be that the body, of course, is designed to avoid pain. Yeah. So it shuts down anything that will be perceived as potentially painful. And we shouldn't forget that actually the nerve endings, the amount of nerve endings that we have able to experience pain and pleasure, which are very, very close in the body, in the mind is very, very high. So we have five areas in our bodies where we have extreme or not extreme, but very heightened ability to experience pain and pleasure. And our genitals are, of course, one of those. So if you've created this association in your mind that there's something painful around this, mm -hmm. it will really result in something like this. She mentioned, I think, that for the first few years, she didn't even tell the partner mm -hmm. that oh. this was happening, yeah. which means that that trauma got repeated many mm -hmm. times over. So every time they tried to have sex, it's been extremely painful. And it got re-triggered. And it gets yeah. reinforced that, mm -hmm. oh, anytime something hatches me in this area, it will be painful. So yeah. it has become maybe 10 times as bad as mm -hmm. it was originally because it hasn't been expressed. Yeah, and that's really important, I think. It's an important association to break for vaginismus. I want to say on a more positive note that vaginismus is something that can be effectively treated and managed and even cured. So it is just about getting the right treatment and therapy for you. And I do know that there have been people who have had vaginismus who then go on to actually have pleasurable and comfortable penetrative sex afterwards. So don't think that this is going to have to be the rest of your life going forward. You know, there are treatments and therapies out there. What I would say is really important to take a team approach to vaginismus because for what Valentina said, it is something which involves both physical elements and psychological elements. So one of the things I would firstly recommend if you haven't done so already is to go and see a pelvic health physiotherapist because just from the physical level, I think firstly, somebody like that can just assess what maybe some of the causes around your vaginismus from a structural level, you know, because there are many different reasons for it. It could be scar tissue. It could be, obviously, it would be a tight pelvic floor already, but she can also give you some manual techniques, breath work techniques, you know, she could do massage on you that can already help to alleviate some of the physical symptoms of your vaginismus. So make sure you see somebody like that. Then I think it's also really important to work on the psychological part of the vaginismus because I think what you, Valentina is saying is really important. You want to break that psychological association that this idea of sex being painful, right? And so the more you can rewire your brain to start thinking about it in a more pleasurable setting is important. And there's other things as well that I think you can do in terms of even working with like a sexologist or a sex coach to learn techniques 
where you are able to have pleasure. Like, so there are certain positions, for example, that may work better for you. There are certain like toys that you might use to actually also start to break that association that you have with sex as something painful. So as I said, it's like a team approach. And now obviously getting your partner involved is also really, really critical, right? Making sure that he also knows some of these techniques. He's also willing to be part of the process is also really important. And also remember that from a female perspective, sex is absolutely not just mm. about penetration. Yes. And you can totally, totally have an amazing sex life and experience all the pleasure in the world without having mm. penetration. Now, a part of the question was, how can I give my partner what he wants? And of course, for a male partner, penetration is really very important because it is what it feels is. the best, right? Yeah, sometimes. So I think... If you start with physical aspects of it combined with the emotional aspects of it, finding the reason where it all started, you know, it could be even that sometimes I think if I think I used to have a fear of needles mm. and I identified that the reason I had this fear of needles was because when I was little, my grandmother used to tell me, if you're not a good girl, we take you to the doctor and they'll give you an injection. So that put this idea in my head that injections were like the ultimate punishment. I know sometimes people tell children or maybe in the old days, I don't know, oh, sex is painful. It always hurts and so on. So if these kind of ideas have been put in someone's head, you are already primed to reject sex as something that is going to be painful, right? So there's definitely a strong program, if you like, like a mental program mm -hmm. or a social program around sex and pain that needs to be addressed and reframed, which is why working with a therapist, a hypnotherapist, anybody who is able to do this kind of cognitive behavioral shifts from the mind and the body, I think that's important. The pelvic floor health specialists can help you literally unclench the muscles because the vagina is a muscle, just like you experience pain in your shoulders. If you've been keeping your shoulders tight out of stress, of course, you're going to need to go to a specialist to release mm -hmm. that whole tension and stuff. There's no difference in that part of the body. Okay. And then, of course, learning how to please your partner in other ways. In other ways, yeah. Learning to have pleasure as well in other ways as well for you as well so that you start building those positive associations to yeah. sex is really important too. You know, and we, as we always say, pleasure is more about the journey rather than the destination. So yeah. being together, yeah. having an intimate connection, giving each other pleasure through many, many different ways, you know, just yeah. touching, kissing, mm. softly masturbating each other, you yeah. know, without insertion of anything into the vagina. All of this mm -hmm. can create very positive, pleasurable experiences. And you never have to go there, really. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Last question. How can I be more confident in starting sex with my boyfriend? I've been with him two years and I never initiate sex because I'm too shy and embarrassed. He wants me to initiate and ask me all the time, but this adds even more pressure and makes me even more nervous. Any help for me? Definitely. Well, what makes you embarrassed? Mm. I think that's the core question here. What do you think is wrong about you initiating sex? Because that is a limiting belief that is actually at play in your mind that you may or may not be aware of. So is it your attitude towards sex? You think that it's wrong for women to initiate? 
Do you fear rejection? Do you think that if I maybe initiate, he's going to say, no, not right now, I have a headache or whatever? It also can be this pattern because I find that in relationships, I remember when I was a kid, I read this like a French proverb that said, in love, there is always one who kisses and the other one who offers the cheek, mm -hmm. but it doesn't have to always be the same person. Mm -hmm. It's true that there has to be a giver and a receiver, but sometimes we fall into this pattern of, oh, you're always the one initiating sex, so I'm just going to leave it up to you to yes, do it. Yes. So sometimes you may be nervous about your partner saying no, even though it seems like it's pretty high probability that he's going to say yes, right? Like, in this. Hell yes. <laughs> yeah, but still, right? There's a fear of rejection. Well, it could be, yeah. I don't know, we don't really yeah. know much about this person's yeah. background, but it could be maybe she felt rejected in other situations yeah. when she yeah. initiated, when yeah. maybe even as a child, if she asked for something, for a need to be met by her family and she yeah. got rejected, it made her feel that it's not okay to ask. Yeah, yeah. So it could be that. But ultimately, I how... Mean, like, you need to do the work, the work to really just understand what it is that is this block for you initiating. Every time we get stopped to work, when we want to do something and we can't do it is because there is a level of fear. Fear is always the biological mechanism that stops us from feeling uncomfortable, right? It makes us take time to retreat, run back, or kind of freeze in, in a certain moment. So if you could change this reaction to leaning in towards the experience, right? Presumably, it sounds like you are having sex. It sounds like there is this maybe pattern in your relationship where you've assigned roles to each other. He's the one initiating. I'm the one kind of the passive one, always tagging along when someone opens the door. So maybe ask yourself, what would I do if I just didn't do? What would happen for me? How would I feel? Would it give me more power? Would it make me feel like a different person? One exercise that I like to do with clients like this who are experiencing this, I encourage them to change the setting mm -hmm. to maybe... Like if we you, all need new settings these exactly. days, don't we? But, but even simple yeah. things, like if you speak a different language... Mm -hmm. Initiate sex in a different language. Mm -hmm. Use new names. Like oh. assume this like play. It's playtime. Like, yeah. It's like playtime. New, almost new a roles, new identity. New identities. A new role. Yeah. Exactly. Who would you be mm. if you could have an alter ego? Oh, that's fine. You know? Yeah. Like if you could be a superhero yeah. that could do anything, who would you be and what sort of power would you have? What Great superpower idea. would you have, right? Yeah. Or just change languages. Like I find, because I speak several languages and I date people from different cultures, that my whole personality changes. For example, if I speak French, ah. the tone of my voice changes. The nature of the French language is maybe a little bit more romantic, uh -huh. more yeah. sexy, so mm -hmm. to speak. So sometimes if I'm dating a French person, normally, because we live here in Hong Kong, we speak English with each other just because <laughs> it's like normal, right? Yeah. But sometimes in the bedroom, shifting into French really changes the whole dynamic in the relationship, you know? So if we're role-playing, if... Yeah. Let's say one person is more dominant in our regular encounters and we want to kind of shift that energy to make it easy and to make it unique and different and adventurous. 
you know, it's almost like changing languages. It changes like a different scene. So that's, that's a, a idea. it's a really cool exercise to do. But also like, you know, sometimes like costumes, yeah. like dressing up, sometimes looking different as well, right? Absolutely. Instead of like, I'll just sweatpants and activewear <laughs> all day, right? That we're like kind of used to these days in the pandemic. Sometimes that can help you as well. Exactly. I know people, a lot of men have a fetish for yoga pants, but you know, sometimes <laughs> it's kind of nice to wear a nice thong or yeah, something, yeah, something yeah. fun. Yeah. I mean, you know, take advantage of a, a staycation, like mm. a, do a role play or something mm. like that. So change language, change roles, mm. play act this kind of new personality, you know, mm. because it sounds very much like it's a little bit fear of maybe being too forward, being mm. too slutty, maybe this kind of self-judgment that mm. women don't initiate, women should always be ladies and mm. wait. I mean, anything, any of that could be at play. Yeah. But in order to change it, just imagine that you are someone else. Yeah, yeah. that could. Think be of who is your female idol. Think of a woman mm -hmm. who really inspires you. I don't know, Beyonce or yeah. someone who is this like very powerful, you know, Cindy Gallup, because yeah. we were talking about <laughs> yeah. her. You know, what would you do if you were Beyonce for a day? Yeah. Or, or someone who is very, very powerful, very no, takes no prisoners kind of thing. Yeah. And just discuss with your boyfriend. It sounds like he absolutely wants to be on the receiving end of desire. Because, you know, we were talking about desire before and yeah. the irresistible desire to be desired. It's very tiring to be the one who always initiates. Yeah. Because you never feel desired by the mm. other person, right? Yeah, that's so important. I think, you know, even just understanding why your boyfriend is asking you to initiate, if you understand the reason behind it, you might reframe the way you're thinking about it in terms of, oh, he's just asking me to initiate because he wants to add more pressure on me. Actually, if you understand the reason why it's because yeah he wants to feel desired he wants to feel loved it, you know sometimes he also maybe wants to know that you're enthusiastic about the sex instead of just being so passive all the time or that he's not right? forcing himself on you exactly. or that you're not doing it just because mm -hmm. he's asking because exactly. we know that a lot of women actually see sex as a bit of a chore like oh i'll mm -hmm. do it because yeah. he wants it or he needs it because yeah. we've been told that you know men need sex more than women and yeah. so on that is actually not true women yeah. want sex and in fact women usually want more sex than men mm -hmm. When they allow themselves to truly identify that desire and when anybody who's feeling desired is going to feel that spark, it's this energy of desire that I feel is so powerful for connection. But if you're always sitting there kind of wanting sex, but not knowing how to say yes, and you don't have a system, you know, I always ask my couples like, okay, what's your language? What's that little thing that he does? that tells you he wants sex. So it's what's that little thing that she does that because mm -hmm. it's I think every couple develops this little not necessarily a That's sign the code language. Word. The code, yeah, exactly. the code, yeah. Like some people call it something mm -hmm. like, oh let's uh, have a little afternoon delight mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. you know that kind of that caress that is just borderline between, okay, I, I'm holding your hand, yeah. but I'm actually holding your hand because yeah. I want to hold other parts of your body kind of yeah. thing. So I think having more awareness around that and how you respond and how do you create that space. I mean, if it's something so difficult, you could also take a more logical approach and kind of agree to have a set time and date for a sex date mm. where it's nobody has to initiate kind of thing. Yeah. You know, it's both of you are like, okay, Saturday afternoon, three o'clock, 
we're meeting in the bedroom, you yeah. know? So it's like yeah. an ongoing thing that it's in your diary. You know, you always make it. So then there's no need for this who's doing what. It's That's an agreement, nice a conscious agreement they have. I know people feel very iffy about having a sex date, yeah. but I think it's so important and there's nothing wrong with that, you know? I so think it's making time, yeah. making time for it. Knowing that your partner feels prioritized and knowing that there's no pressure actually for either of you to initiate. Yeah. I think that's the beauty of it. That's what I love about it. Having yeah. a routine. I, basically, I call this a couple ritual, a ritual around sex. That's a nice way of saying it. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining me today on this episode of Sex FAQs. And I hope that everyone listening got a boost in their sexual confidence and we gave people some actionable ideas after listening to this episode. So listeners, if you have a question or feedback for the show, you can find me at HelloSarahSense on Instagram or drop me a line at sarahsense.com. Also, if you missed something today, there will be show notes on my website with a summary of everything we talked about and some relevant links. And if you enjoyed this podcast and want to support the work that I do to normalize the conversations we have around sex, please subscribe, share, write a review, or buy me a coffee. In fact, I'd love it if you did all of those things. And thanks again for listening. I'll see you on the next episode of Better in Bed. Thank you. Mm-hmm.